coming up this week, off screen. Jack Black gives us goosebumps. There's drama with some Icelandic rams. Recruitment begins for Dad's Army. Brian Cranston is Dalton Trumbo. Janice Joplin's A Little Girl Blue. And it's 100% pure adrenaline in Point Break. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is Off Screen. Off Screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. With a bit of you, the sore throat, a bit of a cold. A little bit, yeah. A little, little bit. I, I do apologise. You've been through the wars, Mister Allen. It's, it's, it's okay. So <laughs> we have got some interesting stuff to come this mm. week. So we should start though with the film I've been dying to talk about for is it five months? It's about five months. Yeah, about five months since I came back and went. I've just seen this. It's I, amazing. I saw it about five weeks ago, so it's not up. not as bad. Okay, fair enough. So Trumbo, of course, which is uh, the latest from Austin Powers director Jay Roach. Yeah, yeah. Who saw this one coming? Mm. And he's written by John McNamara, who is a TV writer most people wouldn't know. I know him from a TV series called Fastlane. So this is the story of Dalton Trumbo, who famously wrote Spartacus and (laughs) and a few other films. But what you may not know, of course, is that he was blacklisted by the uh, House of Un-American Activities Commission, I believe it was, Um, during the communist witch hunt of the 1950s. He's played here by Breaking Bad. uh, I almost said Dalton Trumbo. I mean to say Brian Cranston. (laughs) He's so, he's, he's so convincing. I he just is, think yeah. of him as Dalton Trumbo. Yeah. Um, he is blacklisted and then decides he's going to do the exact opposite of what they expect. He's going to carry on writing, even though the film industry wants nothing to do with him. And eventually, under a bunch of different false names, he begins to write some of the biggest films ever written. We have a clip. You know what it is? I don't trust you. Well, I'd say go on, but I'm afraid you will. Look, I know what I am, Okay. I want this whole country to be different, top to bottom. If I get what I want, nobody gets their own lake. Well, that would be a very dull life. Yeah, for you, not for the guys who built this. If I'm wrong, tell me, but ever since I've known you, you talk like a radical, but you live like a rich guy. That is true. Well, I don't know that you're, I don't think you're willing to lose all of this just to do the right thing. Well, I despise martyrdom, and I won't fight for a lost cause, so you're right. I'm not willing to lose it all. Certainly not them. But I am willing to risk it all. That's where the radical and the rich guy make a perfect combination. The radical may fight with the the purity of Jesus, but the rich guy wins with the cunning of Satan. (laughs) Only Brian Cranston could pull off that kind of dialogue, isn't it? And his (laughs) performance here is is fantastic. It is. It's that perfect balance between, you know, the smug, self-righteous man and actual wisdom. Mm. It's wisdom and self-righteousness, but he balances it so well that you're never quite sure where it is the radical and the rich man. It is that perfect... It's those two characters. It is, and he manages to walk the line between the pair so very well. Um, I I don't think he could be better cast if if they tried. I can't imagine anyone else who could have played this Mm. anywhere near as well. And when the film ends and you get a glimpse of the real Dalton Trumbo... see what he looks like. And Um, also how he sounds. You get his voice just just, just right. It seems that that's what Brian Cranston really excelled in. Yeah. <laughs> seem to get that voice down really well. You've got Louis C.K. in there as well for my clip, and you and I are both Louis C.K. We are. We were just talking about his new his new, new adventure, Horace yeah. and, Ho- and Pete. Horace and Pete. Yeah. Horace and Pete. And uh, well, Louis C.K. really well served here. Um, mm. And then you've got. I mean, I do think 
John Goodman gets. It's an extended cameo, but it's such a great it's cameo. That it? It, it's on paper, it's hilarious. In practice, it's even more hilarious. Mm. And he does get the film's standout moment. If you've seen the trailer, you've already seen it. And I promise <laughs> you, it's even better in the film itself. Uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, though, as Edward G. Robinson absolutely heartbreaking yeah. performance and it's a very and like interesting part it isn't is it? Yeah. he manages to make that work quite well it could mm. have, I, I feel like it could have been a very one note almost sleazy performance with an, with any other actor yeah. but Stolberg manages to inject enough sort of depth into it he manages to make him a fully rounded literally because it's Edward G. Roberts, yes. <laughs> a fully rounded character um, it it's a really captivating performance and if you take anything away from the film besides Brian Cranston who is just the unmatched star of it it is Michael Stolberg chameleonic actor incarnate Michael <laughs> Stolberg I think we are big fans of, of his I think yes, after the definitely. last after the last year or so for sure so what you've got is this breezy light hearted <laughs> affair um, Jay Roach manages to balance the more comedic wackier aspects of it with the darker more dramatic stuff but it falters more down to, and I think this is on a scripting level, its tone, which is, it is quite light-hearted and doesn't take itself too seriously, and that helps as regards preventing it from sinking into maudlin. Um, particularly, you know, when you get to the whole, oh, you know, his world's falling apart, you don't quite yeah. get the utter depression and despair, mm. you know. Because there is a lot going on with his family as well. There is, but I think that because the film takes that tone and sticks with it, yeah. it does sap some of the emotion, I think, out of, mm. the, particularly the family stuff. And nah, that's that's kind of a problem. That as well. That being said, there is also this issue of and I have to single out this one character, uh, John Wayne. The John yes. Wayne character, who's played by David James Elliot, who most of us know from the TV series Jag. Um, if, if you ask your parents, it's the one that came before NCIS. Mm. It's that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and, and it's it's this parodic, almost uh, you know, it's like sketch a character show, show, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a sketch show performance of John Wayne. I don't think the character's really well thought. Like, it comes across a bit cartoonish, mm. a bit movie of the week. That being said, he's not he's not in the film for that long. It's it's kind of just. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. Of a it doesn't ruin it. Yeah. It doesn't ruin it, but it is. It's one problem amongst. It does kind of stick out a bit. It does yeah. stick out. The film, though, is terrific, and it's really enjoyable about a subject that it shouldn't. It shouldn't be enjoyable. It's a really dark. Really yeah, grim. these are people that do go through the mill of it. Really, they really do. I mean, this is a period Hollywood would rather you forgot happened. Yeah, and uh, it's, actually, by that token, it's quite interesting. But Brian Cranston has been nominated for best lead actor at the uh, and, and it's got nothing else otherwise. Isn't it got best adapted or something? But... Um, I'm not sure. But that's it for me. I oh, think he, there are issues with John McNamara's script. Uh, Jay Roach does manage to get quite a good pattern going directorially, but it's, for me, it's a film about the performances and it's about the actors being completely in sync with Jay Roach's vision. Now, for Jay Roach as a comedic director, we know him for things like Austin Powers and I want to say Meet the Parents. Did you do Meet yes, the Parents? Yes, we did, yeah. Um, as well, things like things of that ilk. You think, actually, this is something a bit more growing up and it's, it, I hope this is a sign of things to come because obviously he's got the chops for it and mm. he does really, really well. So, should we, uh, should we have a look at what's in the film news this week? Oh, oh yeah, let's we, do that. We've got to talk about the Power Rangers. 
Yeah, they, they have a bad guy. They have a bad or guy. A, a bad, bad girl. girl. A bad, bad girl, girl, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Elizabeth Banks has been cast as Rita Repulsa, the big bad yes. of the Power Rangers movie. This is going to be an interesting one. That's, that's some good casting. I like that. Well, I, I got told this by Calvin Prickett, our news editor, who um, then I, then asked me, he's like, who would you get for like Lord Zed? And I went, oh, Brian Cranston, yeah. <laughs> then I paused. That's just your answer for everything. That's now. my answer for everything. He's yeah. the new Ben Affleck. It's just my answer for everything. Um, but then was told that then I thought hang on didn't Brian Cranston do the voice in the original in the original but one, no yeah. it wasn't Lord Zed he did no. a bunch of the villains and I then got told that the reason Billy the Blue Ranger Billy why his surname is Cranston he's named for Brian Cranston that's very sweet I did not know that that's great that's an interesting one isn't it so we should plug our competitions for this week yes um, have we got anything new what we, we have we've got the first season box set of the librarians to give away with Noah Wiley, Noah Wiley aka yeah. Steve Jobs you, you showed me that for the very first time a couple of weeks ago. Did, did I show it up for oh, It was oh, quite, quite uncanny. Yeah, like, yeah, it was uncanny. Yeah. He does a great Steve Jobs. But he's not does. Steve Jobs in the library, and he no. is sort of an Indiana Jones-type uh, historian. And uh, so we've got the first season of The Librarians to give away on DVD. Uh, we've got Sicario DVD still to give away as well. And all you have to do is, is pop along to onscreenfilm.com and go in our competition section, um, where you can oh, you can find loads of competitions. They pop up every other day now. All the time. And you go into the feature section, you can uh, look at the new notable Netflix, but you can also find Mr. Allen here's film quiz, which mm. is a monthly uh, a monthly feature in which we round up. Was it twenty five to thirty questions? It's usually around there. Yeah. Test your cine knowledge, your cinematic metal, with the latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the On Screen Radio Show. And we're back. So, oh, you know what? We, we can't really crack on with another review. We need to start doing the, the top ten real quick. We do, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get that one over. Let, let's, get that, uh, let's get that good and done, shall yeah. we? Number ten. Turandot, which is an opera. I, I, I have not seen it as, you know, it's an opera. So it would be nice if every now and again they just started to press screen these. Because yeah, we would definitely watch one. I think we would. I've not seen it, though. Number nine. Creed. We have seen this. This has really slipped down really quickly. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Although, you know, it was phenomenally successful for the first couple of weeks, and yeah. deservedly so, because I think a, a lot of people are surprised by how critically successful it is rather than anything else, because yeah. I, we, we tend to associate Rocky with having this, this you know, menta- this dumbed-down mentality, and yet, really, it's anything but. Rocky is actually surprisingly eyebrow, except for two or three of the mo- of the sequels in the middle. After number two yeah three four and <clears throat> certainly five three four yeah. and five i think where it went down although five was when they tried to make it higher this, this is what five should have been very much so it does yeah. feel like the rocky five that yeah. you, you wanted <laughs> you way back, wanted. or stallone wanted at least back yeah. then and uh, i like it i love stallone's performance in it i, I really like michael b jordan's performance yeah in it. i love uh, uh, ryan coogler's direction ryan coogler's direction but also his his writing i think because he's, yeah. he's managed to find a way to make it both a sequel a spin-off and its own film at the same time, mm. and although it, it is it is reverent of Rocky, it, it is clearly a film made by a Rocky fan for Rocky fans. But he has also found a way to write it for people who know nothing of the Rocky verse, and I'm calling it the Rocky verse. <laughs> that's, that's his term, and I'm sticking with it. Um, I was a big fan. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Actually, number eight, Daddy's Home. 
Which is higher than Creed, and really? It's, and it's been out for now six weeks. It's been out since, uh, was it Boxing Day? It's Boxing, Bo- Boxing Day, Day out, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm still a fan of it. And I, I, I still uh, haven't seen it. <laughs> have you still not seen it? Oh, no. Well, you know when it comes on home release, I think we should uh, we should have like a guy's name. We should totally do that, yeah. yeah. I agree. Um, a bit of Will Ferrell, a bit of Mark Wahlberg, a bit of casting inversion for the pair, yeah. and a bit of Thomas Hayden Church, which is hilarious. What's not to love? Thomas Hayden Church is amazing in this movie. It's got a great cameo towards the end. It's got a Bill Burr appearance as well. It's got uh, Linda Cardellini in a mainstream film, which is always fun to see. That's I mean, happened after the Avengers now. Yeah, yeah. After <laughs> the Avengers, yeah. That's it. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I know a lot of people turn their nose up, a lot of critics particularly turn their nose about it. I thought it was very funny. Its heart was in the right place. It uh, had some strangely poignant things to say about uh, families of divorce, if you know what I mean. Mm. And that's uh, it. I liked it overall. I thought it was warm. It was sincere. It wasn't gross out funny. Which mm. is, it's not not kind of crass, is it? It wasn't crass, but that's it. It mm. wasn't crass. It wasn't gross out humour. The, the, the humour came from a bit more of a sincere place. And although it wasn't laugh a minute funny, like uh, laugh a minute funny, yeah. like Sisters, for instance, it was the laugh every five minutes, but they are violent. Yeah, strong laughs. Visceral yeah. laughs. Yeah, they are powerful <laughs>, laughs. Number seven. Capture the flag. This is a bit of a surprise. This is so we, high. We didn't even get to review it on the proper show last week, I didn't know. we? We bumped it to the podcast extras, and which I, I regretted because I loved the film. I thought it was so you much You did really fun. enjoy it, didn't I you? I really liked it. I liked it that people just heard it? our podcast extras and were like, oh yeah, let's give that a shot. Yeah, if you listen to last it. week's show on radio and you're wondering why you didn't hear us talk about Capture the Flag, <laughs> it was in the podcast extras, so if you download the podcast, you get to hear the bit after the end credits. Yeah, you can where, hear Van gushing all over it. Yeah, we, yeah. we gush all over films like uh, Capture the Flag, and then we have a, a Nicolas Cage bit that we do every time. Yeah, Moments of Cage. <laughs> Moments of Cage. But Capture the Flag just came out of nowhere, this completely unexpected, witty, family-friendly, as in funny for the kids, funny for the adults, funny for the parents... Uh, space adventure full of NASA references <laughs> and little in jokes and S- stabs at Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick yeah. And I thought it was a lot of fun. And even the 3D worked quite well. And there were a lot of some cool sort of uh, 3D effects. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun with it. I'm glad to see it's made the top 10. And that was part of the reason we put it in the podcast extras rather than bumping it for another film instead, was because, frankly, I didn't expect it to. No. I didn't expect it to Neither make it I. into the top 10 at all. <laughs> but I'm really. Really, really glad it did. I'm pleasantly surprised that it did. Go, British public. Go, you. Number six. The Big Short. Now, I love this film. I know you did yes. as well, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it two times now. You've seen it two times. Two times. Two times. Um, I was a big fan. Uh, I, it, it's, uh, it's a subject of much debate for uh, Chris Wilson and myself. Chris Wilson's been on the show. Yeah, yeah, a couple of times. Um, a couple of times. And we, we were discussing uh, about whether or not Ryan Gosling's performance is showier than Christian Bale's. Now, I think it is. I think it is. I think Christian Bale's yeah. a little bit more understated, although Wilson's uh, assertion was... You know what? It's Rain Man. He's doing Rain Man. Well, yeah, of course he is. He is, yeah. he is doing Rain Man. I, I, think. I think Christian Bale's getting more attention because of previous roles that he's taken on. Previous showy roles that have I feel like more that attention. as well. Yeah. I do wonder, though, how many people are going to see this film to see the new Ryan Gosling movie, in quotes, you know. And yeah. then being surprised by this incredibly poignant, witty, funny, uh, sharp, cynical financial dramedy that they're presented <laughs> with. And it is fantastic. It deserves all the kudos it's, yeah. it's gotten. It um, is about Wolf of Wall Street meets Margin Call. It is. It meets it in the Halfway, middle. That's what yeah. it is. They are Benjamin buttoning this. 
Yeah, yeah. They're meeting in the and, middle. And even even got Brad Pitt as well. <laughs> even even got Brad Pitt. Pitt. Who turns out to do his best Robert Redford 1990 impression. Yeah, he is this generation's he, Redford. He, well, no, he's not our generation's Redford. He's our generation's 1990 oh, Redford. 1990 Redford. 1990 Redford. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt does the horse whisperer. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got Brad Pitt's horse whisperer to come yet. Um, <laughs> 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 I'm waiting for his up close and personal. That's, uh, that's what we need. We yeah, that's what we, we need. We find yeah. this generation's uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. So that'd be Rachel McAdams. It um, would, yeah. Yeah, that'd be it. So we've got that to look forward to. <laughs> So, should we have a bit of film news then before we move on? Oh, yes. Before we start before we, planning before out Brad start, Pitt's future career. Yeah, before we start mapping <laughs> out. So, we've got to talk about uh, three of our favourite comedic actors. Well, two of our favourites and then one that we tolerate. Um, and, and the project that they've all sort of lined up together. So, Seth Rogen, Bill Hader and yeah, Zach Galifianakis. He's the one we tolerate, I think. Oh, I like him. Do you like him? Yeah. I tolerate him. He's not one of those actors like, oh, oh, if he's in something, I'm definitely going to watch it, but... Nobody's yeah. rushing out to see the new Zach Galifianakis movie. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, mind you, no one's running out to see the new Bill Hader movie, but you and I are, so... <laughs> but they have signed... The three of them have signed on to star in a film called The Something... I love that title, yeah. The Something, in which they will play a trio of male astronauts stranded in space for several years who find a potential escape when they come across a new spacecraft. <laughs> I don't know whether that means there's just a hallway they've never gone down on the International Space Station. Yeah, and there's probably a spaceship got really, the really high. But the funniest part yeah. about this is that it's it's the directorial debut of the man who wrote 22 Jump Street, which is yeah. uh, Rodney Rothman. Mm. Which you just with that name you had Bloody to be a Rothman. screenwriter. You had to be. You had to you be. Had to be yeah. I, I feel like his parents named him, and at birth, on the birth certificate, he's like future career screenwriter, <laughs> <laughs> author or screenwriter, one of the two with that name. That's all you can be. Is, uh, is Seth Rogen going to be uh, a producer? He is this? producing with Evan Goldberg, his, as his is, usual, yeah, yeah. as is the standard. And so we have that to look forward to. It's going to be interesting. Mm. Bill Hader in space, you know, what's not to love? Hader in space. Hader in space. <laughs> so on to Point Break then. Oh, if which, we absolutely have to. I know. So this is a remake of the seminal 1990 action classic starring Keanu Reeves, Gary Busey, Patrick Swayze, John C. McGinley, and Laurie Petty, the sex symbol of 1990 who never was. Uh, general gist is... Trademark. <laughs> trademark. You have Johnny dot 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 Utah because his, na- his surname isn't Utah in this version, it's a nickname. He has an actual name. Oh, I think his is name... It- his name's like Bridgman or something, and his nickname is Utah. Why do we call him Utah? Is he from Utah? N- no, his mum named it him because it meant mountain people or something. I hate this film already. Exactly. This is this is. Uh, bear with me because this is the direction we're going in now. So John Utah is a YouTube star. That rhymes. <laughs> He's a YouTube extreme sports star whose friend dies when he falls off a cliff on a motorbike. And then flash forward seven years and John Utah, the YouTube star, has joined the FBI. Uh, he is a an FBI cadet who is um, the only person to spot a pattern in a series of seemingly unconnected Robin Hood-style Rob from the Rich Give to the Poor events. But because they're robbing American companies, the FBI cares. So they send John Utah, the YouTube star to uh, Europe <laughs> if he plays guitar this is really going to be a great yeah. rap they send him to Europe where he teams up with um, the uh, their their agent in France uh, Angelo Pappas from the UK branch because he's played by Ray Winston yeah. and uh, he then goes undercover with Bodie played by Edgar Ramirez um, Bodie is now Venezuelan because he's not Patrick Swayze anymore yeah so he's because Venezuelan. Edgar Ramirez was yeah yeah and he's it, decent price exactly and it transpires that what Bodie and his crew are doing they are committing these acts of robbery 
Mary, while at the same time committing uh, acts that fall under this this pantheon of challenges called the Osaki Eight. And the idea is that if you if you uh, conduct every one of these eight activities successfully, you will achieve Nirvana. This is actually their motivation. They want to reach Nirvana. Yeah. Silence. Exactly. Radio silence. As Delroy Lindo says at one point, hang on, these criminals are doing this for spiritual enlightenment? And we are told, yes. That is literally the plot. They are quite aware of how rubbish this sounds. No, no, they are not, because there is no irony in this film. There's no irony. Don't 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 think for a second there is. So you have John Utah, the YouTube star, who go <laughs> goes undercover. Does with... he drive a car? He does drive a car. John Utah, the YouTube star, drives a car, a car to a bar <laughs> <laughs> to play a guitar <laughs> from afar. From afar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and he, uh, he finds himself going undercover. He's committing these challenges himself. He starts to question, you know, do I want this sort of spiritual freedom? Is the FBI really for me? Have I been running from my spiritual independence since the death of my friend? And all of this goes on for about five minutes before we have to get back to runny, runny, chasey, chasey. Yeah, you need I've, an action I've got a GoPro, let's make a film. Here's a clip. Came as fast as I could. It's been 12 days. When I saw an opportunity. I couldn't break cover. I put a 24-hour surveillance on Al Farik's hideaway. I know exactly what you were doing. Criminal masterminds. They're just kids partying away their lives on Al Farik's time. The difference between them and you is you're doing it on the FBI's. Pappas, where does that leave you, huh? Hanging out in this dock while I'm on to something? Now, I'm sorry if this particular locale lacks the glamour you're accustomed to. For your information, this is how the real FBI works. It's dirty, it's pedestrian, and generally downright boring. I can figure this out, Pappas. I just need more time. It's funny how Ray Winston inadvertently describes the film. It's dirty, it's pedestrian, it's bloody boring. Yeah, but I'm getting paid a million pounds. <laughs> exactly. So this really will remind you of the Robocop remake from 2014. And by that I mean no one understands why this exists. <laughs> no, no, no one knows why it was made. It insists that it's its own thing, yet contains all these in-jokes and references to the film that came the before. Thing. And you will have forgotten it by the time a year, 18 months from now, when we remake the next cult classic so you know by the time we remake Big Trouble in Little China with The Rock you know it won't be The Rock sorry it'll be like Steve Austin because The Rock would suggest quality um, by the time they've remade that with John Cena um, who's picking up a 20 million dollar paycheck you'll have forgotten this and wow you, you never thought you'd see the day where you were pining for the on-screen pairing of Keanu Reeves and Gary Busey but by God you are here um, this kicks off with that cliched dead friend prologue that it's all the rage in movies of a certain lower intelligence. Yeah. And uh, quickly just gives way to this Team Red Bull GoPro promotional video that belongs mm. on YouTube, which is name-checked so often in this film that you could actually play a drinking game with it. You could literally play a drinking game. Every point time right. you say YouTube. Every time you say YouTube, ch- ch- down the Red shot. Bull. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it positions itself as if it wants to be Point Break 1990 for the YouTube generation, but mm. then saps it with this patronising, condescending, hippie, crunchy granola theology that you start thinking, I'm sorry, no one who is, a, is into the stuff that you're, you're, you're pitching them mm. has any interest in this stuff. There's a fine line between the hippie granola crunchy and your team Red Bull. 
you know, for one thing, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Red Bull contains preservatives and additives and stimulants. Most of the hippie granola crowd don't really go in for that stuff. So you've created two diametrically opposite films here. And then you've got the cast, and Edgar Ramirez is playing Bodhi for the Twilight, for the post-Twilight crowd. You've got Luke Bracey, who answers the question of who do you get to who do you get to be Sam Worthington for the under twenty-fives? Go and get Luke Bracey. That's apparently the answer. Oh, that, that is an insult. That's great. <sighs> Believe me, I am being kind. I'm, I'm really being and kind. And he's, he's the one that's being an FBI he's, agent. He's being the FBI agent. I mean, he's such a turgid lead that he, yeah. honest to God, he makes you think of Keanu Reeves in hindsight as a Shakespearean actor. And I don't know if you ever saw Keanu Reeves actually do Shakespeare in... Uh, I, was I really it, want was to. Was it Midsummer Night's Dream? Oh, you I never them. saw... Was that the Michelle Pfeiffer one? He he did Shakespeare at one point about 1993. Yeah. Keanu Reeves did Shakespeare. What who, my lord? You know something like that. <laughs> and, right. So this film has no irony, no fun, no humour. It's dark. It's dismal. It's it's miserable. It's depressing. It's bleak. It's conflicted in its own theology. Its action sequences aren't entertaining. Its its plot isn't particularly suspenseful. Its cast are dreadful. I mean, seriously, by the time you get to Teresa Palmer's would-be love interest, what you are looking at is a heavily roofied cult member. That's the only way I can describe <laughs> mm. her. And you just think, who, who is this for? And then you get to the end of the film and you find out that the director is also the cinematographer of the film, a guy named yeah. Erickson Core. And you look at the film and you think, you know what? I've not looked into this man's background, but I'm pretty sure he's either a spokesperson for GoPro or he films the Team Red Bull adverts. And frankly, neither would surprise me. Probably both. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So, should we move on to a film that's infinitely better than Point Break? Yes. And unexpectedly so, but still very rewarding. So let's talk about Goosebumps, then, which is based on the 90s... Uh, 90s books by R.L. Stein. R.L. Stein. Does anyone know what R.L. stands for? Is it Robert Louis? Because that, well, that would be interesting. I'm going to look it up, but, actually. Uh, so, you know, R.L. Stein uh, wrote these 1990s books. They got adapted into quite a popular Nickelodeon TV series, I think, about uh, 1994. Ryan Gosling is in an episode. Ryan Gosling is in yeah. an episode. Of course he is. Ryan Gosling's in everything. And these are basically horror and but what this movie does is put them all into one collective meta context. So what you have is a story of a, young, of a teenage boy who moves to a new town with his single mom, and she's going to be the vice principal at his you know, would-be new high school. Um, he quickly meets his new neighbour and her dad... Uh, single dad, and she is, you know, of course she's the same age as him, and lovely looking, and you can kind of see that there's some sort of flirtation. See where he's going. Yeah, yeah, and come and show your hiding spot in the woods, because we all have those, and, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then we meet her dad, who is, of course, the completely bonkers Jack Black, who <laughs> is the author R.L. Stein, yeah. and he has all the Goosebumps manuscripts in locked volumes on his shelf, and it soon, soon turns out that when you open a book, the actual creature from within, within that story escapes. They are in prison within the novel that's why the novels exist and when all of the books get uh, disseminated into the world all the monsters are running riots and the kids and R.L. Stein, played by Jack Black let's not forget have to embark on the adventure of stopping them saving the day and of course facing R.L. Stein's arch nemesis the evil ventriloquist dummy who you call a dummy Slappy also voiced by Jack Black we have a clip I told you to stay away from us or something bad would happen but that's a problem with kids today they don't listen you had to pick abominable snowman of Pasadena. You couldn't have picked Little Shop of Hamsters. You're him, aren't you? Hmm? You're R.L. Stein. R.L. who? I don't know who that is. Oh, really? Well, just as well, because his books suck. What are you doing? I can't decide which one I hate more, monster blood or 
gooey worms. I'm so confused. You see the endings coming from a mile away. It's like, stop trying to be Stephen King, man. Let me tell you something about Steve King. Steve King wishes he could write like me. And I've sold way more books than him, but nobody ever talks about that. Okay. Way more books. That's literally my favourite moment of Jack yeah. Black. We're talking about Steve King. King. Steve. <laughs> right. and, and that's the weird thing. Jack Black is perfectly cast in this movie. Absolutely. Like, he really works. They yeah. found a way to write... I think, I'm not sure if it's, if it's their writing or if it's his performance, but the two seem to have gelled in such a mm. way that he's been able to go off-kilter in that way that Jack Black tends to go overboard with. But here he's managed to do it to a certain degree and stop. He's taken it so far, no further. Yeah. You know, the line must be drawn here. And... Um, um, and his his character is you know wacky yeah. and out there. He's created and, and actually quite an entertaining. It's, it's character. But obviously, yeah, the real R.L. Stein is nothing it's, like. Doesn't it. sound like that at all. Doesn't look like him. And, and has a cameo at the end of the film. Did yeah, you he's like in, yeah. in a school. Yeah. So you've got uh, Dylan Minnette as the lead. I like Dylan Minnette very much. He, I quite he's, like him. He's, he turns up in a lot of things lately. Um, he was in one with a crazy title. Uh, Alexander, Alexander, terrible, yes. horrible, no good, very bad day. He's well the, done. Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, he is Fitz's son, Fitz Junior, I think, in Scandal. He is oh, in yeah, course, Labor yeah. Day. He's the teenage yeah. years of the kid in Labor Day. He's in loads of things. He's got loads of things coming up as well. And good mm. for him because he's good. Let's be yeah. honest, the current crop of teenage male actors is is not terrific. Um, Ansel Elgort and Ben. That's about I, it. I'm thinking you could just watch the Fifth Wave and, and see how bad that situation I'm, I'm really okay. is. Yeah. Um, you, you've got a pair of good side. A pair of enjoyable enough sidekicks in, and I need to look up their names because I can't really remember them offhand. Uh, they are Dea Rush and Ryan Lee. A pair of enjoyable sidekicks, but it is all about Jack Black's R.L. Stein. Really like Jack Black's R.L. Stein in this, and I like the film. The film is really it's this generation's Jumanji, yeah. but with this <clears throat> going for more of an out and out <clears throat> horror flair. But it is family friendly at the same time. The thing I really like about it is, although Goosebumps has its fans, it has its its mythology that people know and its characters, its monsters that people recognise as iconic. You you had this conversation with me earlier, in which you named a few. Yeah, and and I don't know that I've never seen Goosebumps. I've never read Goosebumps. Never read the books. So I I was quite a fan of the books. But what yeah. I really like about the film is that the characters and the monsters are generic enough concepts that you you know them straight you just off know the bat, them. and they like, are like the abominable snowman. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The been, yeah, the abominable snowman and the ventriloquist dummy one, for instance, a very yes. well worn yeah. trope of horror things, and they do this stuff really well to the level that even kids will recognise these iconic horror archetypes. And the film has great fun sending up. It does a lot better job, in fact, than the uh, Scooby Doo Two Monsters Unleashed where they did this exact concept of let's just get all the horror characters back in, in one and go. And just let them out. And yeah. let them out. And <laughs> this succeeds title. where that absolutely failed. Yeah. This has bits of... This has bits of uh, Casper, bits of Hocus Pocus, bits of Jumanji. Yeah. There is all sorts in there. It's almost like a Night of Museum kind of vibe it as is, well. It I definitely really got works. It is Night yeah. of the Museum. It is Jumanji. It, is, yeah. it has all these elements, but it comes together and it makes this generally all-round, crowd-pleasing, absolutely every-box-ticking fantasy, family-friendly adventure horror tale. It, it's... Uh, well, adventure, horror adventure fantasy, I would say, would be the best way to describe it. Had a lot of fun with it. Didn't get seen in 3D, which was annoying. No, I've not but, seen it in 3D. Uh, I've not. Um, I would imagine there's some good stuff in there. I think so, yeah. But uh, I really liked it. I'm looking Me forward too. to seeing it. I didn't expect it to be anywhere near this good, and yet it is. And I don't think happy. anybody did. It did quite well in the States as well. But Goosebumps is huge in the US, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. Hmm. Shall we talk about Dad's Army then? 
This is yeah. this is this is quite high profile this week. I think we're meant it to is, believe yeah. that this is a big thing. Well, it's got quite a big British uh, uh, cast. Um, it's a massive name, isn't it? It, it is. It's, it's a huge. Well, it's a huge sort of profile franchise. I think it's for a, British yeah. for British comedy purposes. And that's the thing. I've never seen an episode. Don't know what it's uh, what, it, what it's like as a series. But now we have the big screen movie. And what you've got is a series of characters who work for the Home Guard. This is during World War Two. They are the inept, the incompetent <laughs> soldiers. As Apparently, the people on BBC this morning were telling us is a complete fiction. But um, seriously, we had the, they had them on BBC this morning. So you don't believe that yeah, they weren't like not, that. It's not true. Yeah. Um, so in this case, it's a sitcom. This is the big screen adaptation. You've got the Home Guard, Captain Mainwaring, played by uh, Toby Jones. You've got Sergeant Wilson, his loyal, faithful sidekick, played by Bill Nye. And uh, what happens in, the, in this particular instance is uh, they are the town has a Warmington on Sea is the name of the town gets a visitor in the form of a young, uh, sexy female journalist played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. And her arrival to write a story about the Home Guard coincides, would you believe, with the discovery of a German traitor in the, in the local vicinity. And, uh, yeah, we have a clip. I'm doing an article on the Home Guard. Will you come highly recommended? Godfrey, look like you're on a cruise to the South Sea. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. Corporal Jones and I have discovered a top-secret document written in German. Abend sie springt, spunken, spunken Right, so this is really unlikely to tax the mind of the average cinema goer, and it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, firstly, you've got a comedy which isn't particularly funny. It's more chucklesome than it is out-and-out laugh fodder. Mm. Um, really, what lets it down more than anything is that it has no ambitions beyond simply being a sitcom. Mm. Which is kind of odd, given that it's, you know, over an hour and a half in length. You think, well, if I were watching a sitcom, this would have ended, you know, like an hour and a half I guess it's just trying ago. to, like, rely on the nostalgia factor, And this is it? the problem, because, you see, if this is aimed at the grandparents, then the grandparents yeah. are simply going to be pining for the old cast. If it's aimed exactly. at the grandchildren, who They're the grandparents have then brought up on Dad's Army, mm. they will simply be bored by a film that isn't funny, doesn't challenge them, has every cliché known to man, and a bit of blue for Dad's... You know, as bit you do, blue. bit of blue, <laughs> and really, that's it. You think this? This is the, this is the worst sitcom spin-off I've seen since Only Fools and Horses did to Holland back. <laughs> you really want to go? You've then got the cast, and the cast are enjoying themselves. Don't get me wrong; they're having fun. The problem is that fun is not in any way infectious. No. Bill Nye turns out to be Bill Nye, and you're like, he's, okay, he's playing his arms around and doing his Bill Nye thing, doing his thing with his elongated fish. Yes, and you know, great, Bill Nye, you're very fun doing that. Toby Jones in a lead role. I'm sure he's loving doing that because it's been a while since Infamous. So yeah. you know, it's nice to see him in a lead and, role again. Yeah. Truman Capote is completely different to Captain Manor. <laughs> exactly. And then you've got, you know, the rest of them who don't quite fare anywhere near as well. You've got Daniel Mays, who you remember from Life on Mars yeah, and yeah. films like who really unlikable in this this would-be Jack the Lad type role. And then you've got Blake Harrison from The Inbetweeners, who answers the question nobody was asking and proves himself to be this generation's Nicholas Lindhurst. Genuinely, that's the only thing I can think. We only, of. we only needed one. We only need no one needs another Nicholas Lindhurst. No one ever. One Nicholas, even Nicholas Lindhurst doesn't need another Nicholas. It's Lindhurst. fine with being born and only. The plot of multiplicity, as far as Nicholas Lindhurst is concerned, is there is only one Nicholas Lindhurst. Oh, I really hope they never do a remake of Multiplicity. Zach Galifianakis is going to remake that. You know, that. he's, he's going to be the new yes. Keaton. 
So this is the problem. You will get three chuckles out of it at best, and outside of that, any sense of comedy is completely AWOL. This is a, this is a, an, an army you will not want to enlist in. It is just completely. Do you know what? They, the rule they have broken the rules of comedic engagement. That is it. No. No point. So no. you're not going to be watching the show. You're not gonna. I had never seen. I've never seen an episode of Dad's Army before this. Mm. Not for any malice or anything. I just had never just gotten never around happened. to it. Never yeah. happened. And to be quite frank, after having seen this movie, in which Catherine Zeta-Jones is squandered on what can be conceived as an almost parodic exercise in typecasting, I have no desire to ever see an episode. I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of done with it. The whole thing is, has passed me by, and I think now for good measure. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. We, we need to stop doing the dancing when that's actually... We do actually. it every single week. <laughs> we are getting worse. I was trying to do my best Seth Rogen in Knocked Up when he's doing the dice thing. Oh, the dice throw, yeah. yeah you, you're, ba- yeah. Vegas dice roll. Vegas dice roll, yeah. yeah. So we're back. We're back, anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we have got a top ten to finish. and We should we do. We should kind of be semi-professional and do that. Yeah. Number five. Spotlight. Which I loved, you loved as well, I believe. Uh, yes, big time. Now, I, I liked Mark Ruffalo, I liked Mark, uh, Michael Keaton. Uh, Rich McAdams Everybody great. in it is absolutely Lee Schreiber's great. It does, but I think the strength in it comes from the writing. It manages to draw tension out of things that you really would never expect. Journalism as a thriller. The actual practice yeah. of journalism. The researching of sources. <laughs> doing and, all the research. Uh, yeah, and yeah. doing the research and chasing it. This is an actual thriller. Well, it has been done before, as people keep saying, all of President's Men. That's, that's yes, the big comparison. That. I, like to, I like to bring up the Insider as well. But, Insider as well, yeah. yeah, of course, yeah. But it's been a while since that. Number four. Ride Along 2. Oh, good God, I really wish this would just leave Did the Did you just hear ten. the disdain in my vocal delivery? It's, it's so two. unfunny. Yeah. It's, it's one of those... Like, I actually agree with you for a change on just Kevin Hart. It's just not funny. But then again, nothing in the film is funny. Ken Jong isn't funny in it. Dr. Ken doesn't bring the funnies. Do, well, Dr. Ken is an awful, awful <laughs> yeah, sitcom anyway. Oh. You saw it in the end. I've seen a bit, yeah. yeah oh. no, it, it's awful. Why Ken Jong would then go do a sitcom is beyond me, but he has, and it's terrible. And apparently the central joke is that he's Korean. So, oh, well, okay. yeah, that, that's yeah, a way to go. Yay, yay 2015. Thanks, Ken. Um, so, no. No, Ride Along 2 is just not funny. And that's the problem when it's an action comedy. So 50% of it is comedy, 50% is not funny. So mm. you would think, okay, maybe they get you back on the action side. Maybe this is Bad Boys 2 again, because you move yeah. comedy in that. You, at least you've got the action. No, no, no. They don't deliver on the action either. It's three action set pieces are not interesting. They're not thrilling. They're not engaging. And you see every twist and turn coming a mile away. One of them literally being a car chase in which you can see every twist and turn coming up a mile away. <laughs> Number three. What else can we say about Star Wars before? Force Awakens. Apparently Yoda was meant to be in it and they filmed it and they oh, cut, was it cut it. Yeah, did I did hear about cut. this. Yeah. There was also another thing cut where Maz Kanada was going to use the Force to stop a ceiling caving in. Yeah, yeah I love Maz Kanada. She was such I'm a great fan. I've, I've been talking to people that don't really like her or... Well, you know what? Those people are wrong. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's those people who don't think Pacific It's not the opinion is... that this is fact. You are wrong. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's like those people that don't think Pacific Rim is amazing. They're just simply wrong. That's all <laughs> there is to it. <laughs> you know? But no, Force Awakens, I'm such a huge fan of. Uh, there is a rumour, by the way, this has not mm. been confirmed, April 4th for the, uh, for the Blu-ray and DVD. Interesting. Because, because... Think, why not make it May the 4th? Well, yeah, yeah but why not make I, I've heard April 5th. You've heard April 5th? Yeah. Uh, we, we, Amazon put Let's that just on say the April. Yeah, yeah. Amazon put it up and then deleted it minutes later, Ooh. and we, we, we were left wondering, hmm, I wonder why. Uh, speaking of Star Wars announcements, uh, oh. the Lego uh, Star Wars video game 
the the new one. Oh, is that coming? Yeah, they've done Force Awakens Lego game. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I would June. That comes out in June. June. Mm. Yeah, so this is your time. May the 4th for everything. Yeah, just, be, just bring everything just out. Just bring everything out. <laughs> that should just be it. Every year, May the 4th, they just release everything Star Wars for the year on yeah. that day. And then we get a film at Christmas. And then you Great. get a film at Christmas. Yeah. That's it. That would be like a, second, that'd be like a second Christmas. It's yeah. nearly halfway through Christmas, the year. Christmas 2. Do the Santa Claus. Still be morphing. Do Christmas 2. <laughs> Christmas 2. two. Yeah. Christmas 2. Electric Boogaloo. Number 2. Dirty Grandpa. Dirty Grandpa. Dirty, dirty hey, Grandpa. you know what? It's made some money, hasn't it? It has. Look at that. It has, although wow. I'm, I'm reliably told that nearly everyone Two that's mil- gone to the multiplex box office has asked for Bad Grandpa. Um, oh, of course they have. And Netflix did add Bad Grandpa 0.5 to their roster the week this came out. Wow. So, yeah. Right, so Robert De Niro's funny for the first time in a good long while. Zac Efron is sort of playing against type and being the straight-laced one, which is you know, good to see. Aubrey Plaza is absolutely hilarious and steals the show. <laughs> Jason Manzoukas gets more time in the spotlight, which he needs. Adam Pally gets to be in a film being funny, which is always nice. Really? Yeah. And, and I, I loved him so much on Happy Endings that I'm, I'm glad to see him on the big screen doing it now as well. I mean, he had a little cameo in Iron Man 3. Mm. Overall, it is fun. It is crass, though. It is juvenile. It is offensive, but it's hearts in the right place, and you will laugh yourself senseless, even though you will feel bad about it afterwards. And in the end, it's called Dirty Grandpa. You're not going yeah. into this expecting what, what, what one. What do you expect? Number one. The Revenant. What's left to say on this one now? I will say this. Have you seen... <laughs> there's an amazing tweet. It's a Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's a picture of Winnie the Pooh on, on Christopher Robin. On top of Christopher Robin, yeah. it shows up a revenant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. So but good. This is just the unbridled masterpiece of the year so far, clearly. I mean, mm. it's, it's one of those... I don't know... I mean, I hope that by the end of the year, this is still the unbridled masterpiece of the year, because otherwise it's going to be a hell of a year. Yeah, if, if I'm, I'm going to be film, quite tired come like yeah. June. I think if there's a second film this good in, yeah. 20, in 2016, I'm just going to be exhausted. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and that's the problem. This is an endurance trial. This movie, it it's is. not a film you'll ever watch twice. I mean, you don't get me wrong. You probably watch it when it hits home release for the first time. I, I want to watch it on a bigger screen. I want to watch it in IMAX. I would be tempted to go for the IMAX. I only yeah. saw it on a regular screen. But uh, no, I think Inuritu's uh, visuals with uh, well, his direction with the uh, Lubeski's visuals, visuals, yeah, stunning. Those performances. I, I actually, I think Donald Gleeson is somewhat uh, unappreciated in this. Greenhorn well. Captain. Greenhorn, Greenhorn Captain. Captain. And yeah. that starts out as quite a generic, thankless role, but then yeah. actually does he has a really. Gain Really good arc, yeah. Great arc. Also, Will Poulter. Yeah, I thought he's was quite tremendous. Standard, yeah. But of course, it is all about Tom Hardy and Leonardo oh, yeah, DiCaprio, yeah. and the pair are terrific. The pair deserve their kudos. And you know what? You'd also deserve to be number one in the top ten. So, well played, boys. Well, well played. played. <laughs> so, should we? Uh, should we look at our last film of the week? And let's look at Janice, uh, little little girl blue, little girl blue, little girl blue. Which is a well, it's the definitive portrait, the documentary biography, if you will, of Janice Joplin. Not really much more to cue on the story front than that. So we'll just have a clip, shall we? We went out to visit her the summer of love as a family. My brother and I were the only teenagers who probably went out with their parents. You know, we'd go see Janice, we're walking down the streets, and just she's showing us around. And I was so excited. Then we went to the Avalon Ballroom, and uh, Big Brother was not on the bill that night. But they went on and did three or four songs. Moby Grape let them have a set because Janice's parents were there. When we were getting ready to leave, I remember overhearing one of my parents tell the other one, you know, dear, I don't think we're going to have much influence anymore. Hey, hey, 
I think it goes without saying that this documentary has a hell of a soundtrack. <laughs> it does. It has an absolute tremendous soundtrack. And this is uh, this is by Amy J. Berg, yet there is something oddly familiar about it all the way through. There's a sort of familiar feeling about it, and then you get to the very end of the film, and it says, produced by Alex Gibney. And you think, what else has oh, Alex Gibney done? Alex Gibney's the Armstrong lie. Alex Gibney is going clear. Alex Gibney, oh, yeah, right. you know yeah. Alex Gibney. And Alex Gibney, who churns out a new documentary every three or four minutes. Yeah. He, he, he works on more projects concurrently than Dwayne Johnson. He just has, like, little cameras set up everywhere in the world. Yeah, he is the yeah. documentary world. He's, he's the rock of the documentary world. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. <laughs> so, um, those who aren't familiar with Janis Joplin as a person, I mean, I think everyone knows the, the music, but yeah. those who aren't familiar with her life and, and the story of Janis Joplin are going to be somewhat wowed by this. Um, however, those who are are going to be even more surprised by the level of behind-the-scenes access that they seem to have... The level of research that's gone into this and the, the materials they've uncovered. They've gotten letters written by Joplin to her family describing life on the road and all of her emotional turmoil. And, and it's really insightful. And they've gotten... I think it's Cat's... Cat Power, that's her name, mm. the singer, to, oh, to, narrate, to narrate this. And she does it tremendously. I had no a, idea if she was even yeah, involved. She does a really good, right. she does a really good Joplin. Mm. But having the actual voice of Janice Joplin, as represented by Cat uh, Power, makes it feel as if Janice Joplin herself is as involved in the documentary as literally any of the talking heads. Now, I'm, I say I'm, I'm not overly familiar. I have a passing knowledge of Janice Joplin. Yeah. But not, not what do you call us, but I know more about, Fre- infinitely more about Freddie Mercury than I know about Janis Joplin, for instance. Um, and I, I came out this one and thought, wow, I was really insightful, really compelling, and really good. The only thing that lets it down is it's just slightly too long. It's about an hour and 45, thereabouts. That's quite long for just like a standard. Yeah, and you feel like if this were 80 minutes, or if you really want to push and you can get down to 60, great. But if it were 80 minutes, mm. Tremendous. This would have been a tremendous film. As it is, it's just a very, very good film that's just slightly bloated and slightly overlong. Well, it does feature uh, a couple of appearances from Chris Christopherson, which is which is always a nice, nice. thing to see. Yeah. <laughs> Whistler, same Whistler there. Whistler there. But to say, I was really surprised by it, and I thought it does keep itself quite upbeat as well. I mean, given the darker aspects of Janis Joplin and and how she died and the yeah. circuit and, and the sort of the sort of psychology is to, that led up to that and. It manages to keep things flowing in a fairly upbeat manner, even though you know the, the speed bump at the end of the road. But I, I quite liked it. So, well, I think that kind of that concludes our broadcast day. That does wrap us up. That does wrap us up somewhat nicely. So, film of the week. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for Goosebumps. Um, I, am. I would say Trumbo, but I think it's got that total flaw. It's definitely two, isn't it? <laughs> I think Goosebumps is the one that everyone can see and everyone can enjoy. I'm going to agree. I'm going to say yeah, Goosebumps. I think that, that's what makes Goosebumps yeah. me. Everyone can see well it. Well done, Jab Black. Can... Well done. Yes, J- Jab Black, you finally nailed it, buddy. Yeah. Well played, <laughs> sir. Well played. <laughs> so in the meanwhile, we've got next week to look forward to. And, mm. oh, we've got a good roster next week. Oh, yeah? Well, oh, you, what you, do we have? You're going to love this. So first of all, Deadpool is next week. Of course it is. The Merc with a Mouth. Yeah. Was it smart ass, bad ass, great ass? Great I think ass. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got Alvin and the Chipmunks, the, the road, road chip. chip. <laughs> uh, we've got Gem and the Holograms is finally released next week. Yeah, so, another TV show to big yeah, screen adaptation. No, we've got Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. 
or as, I, or as I've taken to calling it, Pride Prejudice on. Pride Prejudice on. <laughs> or PPZ. It's actually called, isn't it hashtag is it? PPZ on Twitter? Oh, of course it is. I think it is on yeah. Twitter, yeah. We've got uh, Will Smith's attempt at an Oscar grab in concussion. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. And then Jada um, went mad. Sorry, sorry Jada. Yeah. Uh, we've got Oddball and the Penguins. If you don't know about this, this is an Australian is this film. This is the one about Alan, Alan, Alan Tudyk. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah. Uh, we've got Zoolander number two. Zoolander. Zoolander. Why do you know how to stick with? I Zoolander? don't know. <laughs> we've got Eli Roth's The Green Inferno next week. Oh, well. so finally That's coming out. Finally coming out. Everyone in the world has seen it, but yeah. we're now finally getting a release date. So it's, cool. it's next week. Yeah. And of course, this is a really interesting one. The Iron Giant Signature Edition is out next week. This is the extended version. Wait, are we going to be? talking about Iron Giant next week. We are going to be talking about the Iron Giant next week. We are yes. going to be talking about a new extended version of the Iron Giant. How awesome that is that? That is so exciting. That's incredible. Exactly. So we've got all that to come and more next week off screen. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I have had the flu. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. So, podcast extras time. Do you want to do the last review first, or do you want to do some film news to break it up? Because we feel like we've been neglecting the film Let's news. Let's do some film news, and then we'll get, we'll get uh, Rams. We're going to Rams. talk about Rams. We've got to Rams. talk about Rams. Yeah. So, oh, oh, we're not talking about this news. Uh, Numi Rapace isn't going to be in... Alien Covenant is I she? hope that nobody is in that film and I hope the film doesn't get made <laughs> well so obviously we've got the Prometheus sequel which is now hang on does that mean we have to retroactively retitle Prometheus as Alien colon Prometheus uh, yes yeah, yeah why don't they just call it Covenant and and keep that well it's, it's already had a name change it was was it going to be Alien Paradise, Paradise Lost. Lost yeah Paradise Lost originally yeah. oh Asif Kapadia we got to talk about him have you heard about his new project I've not heard about his new project no right so he's he's lined up two new projects one of which is going to be about Diego Maradona really he's doing a Diego Maradona documentary Oh, yes, please. Yeah, and this is going to be with the Senna and Amy team. This is his, said, this is yeah. to do with what Senna brought us Amy. Yeah. Exactly. So now, now, now we're going to get Diego Maradona. But that's mm. not all. He has lined mm. up a project with none other than Mr. Scorsese. Mike Scorsese, really. Martin, Martin Score. My score. <laughs> Marty S. I don't know. Marty S. <laughs> so Monsko says he has apparently been producing this for a long time, was going to direct, and then decided not to. He took it over from the late Richard Attenborough. And this is called The Silver Ghost. And it is the story of the Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost. Huh. The story of how this car, this iconic car came to be. Yeah. Asif Kapadi is going to direct it. It's being described as a fact-based narrative. As if they need to justify why <laughs> Asif Kapadi... Why they've got a documentary. <laughs> exactly. They need to justify him being there, so they just use the word fact-based. Fact-based, yeah. 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 But that's how we got him. Exactly. Uh, Catherine Bigelow, a.k.a. director of The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thursday. And James Cameron's ex-wife. And more importantly, the director of Point Break. Uh-huh. Yeah, original. Yeah, the original, the o- only OG. Point, Break. Can we point just, Break OG. Can we just agree, by the way, that, yeah. that Point Break 1990 is the only film we're going to call Point Break? Well, I'm going to call this new one Pointless Break forever. I'm always going to call. I'm always going to refer to this one as Pointless Break. I'm, I'm calling it Point Rebreak. Point so. Point Rebreak. That's good. Yeah, Point Rebreak because it's not far off Point Remake. Either. <laughs> <laughs> you could just mispronounce it as either. Uh, um, if you can do a worse film, I'm tempted to chuck that in. No, um, right. So, anyway, Catherine Bigelow is going to direct a thriller set in the Detroit riots. That's an interesting one. That is cool. going to be. They're aiming to release that on the 50th anniversary of right. the Detroit riots, which is that's an interesting one. Uh, Kim Basinger has joined the cast of Fifty Shades. 
and darker. Yeah, Mrs. Robinson. uh, As Mrs. Robinson. Right, I'm not aware with any of the books, let alone the second one. Mm -hmm. Um, Is her character actually called Mrs. Robinson? No, 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 her character's name is Elena Lincoln. It's just, that's the... Character, archetype. I think she's referred to in the story as Mrs. Robinson. Period, oh, right. Yeah, as, as a sort of backhanded gag thing. Because, you know. Because E.L. James can't come up with something original. Exactly. E.L. James yeah. can't change reference for everything. So, yeah. exactly. I mean, let's be honest, though, the screenplay for the new movie is being written by her husband. So, yeah. I'm not particularly convinced that that's a house in which creativity thrives. No. E.L. James will be holding his trousers whilst he's writing things. Well, no, he's, he's in one of those sex swings. That's what it is. He's <laughs> <laughs> in one of those sex swings. Oh, dear. Pencil hanging from between his lips, and he's just using his face to write the, <laughs> to write the screenplay whilst Mistress tells him what he can and can't change, which is, you know, why, nothing. Why, why do you sound like Michael Caine when you're trying to, <laughs> trying to pencil him out? No, but I've seen the house it paid for. <laughs> That's my Michael Caine. That was, that was good. Right. Uh, TJ Miller, star, uh, co-star of Deadpool. Deadpool, yeah, of course, He has yeah. revealed there is a director's cut coming out in mm. the fall. No specific date, but it's coming out in the fall, which I would take to mean they're going to do that 20th Century Fox thing of a regular DVD and an unrated DVD. Yeah, but you're going to have the yeah, hardcore... Yeah, but it is going to be rated 15. Yeah. In the UK, though, and an R in the US. I thought that was like a foregone kind of fact. Well, it's uh, now official. Yeah. They have actually now been officially it's graded. Official, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in the meanwhile, we have oh, Rooney Mara has been is being sought for the role of Mary Magdalene in a biopic, and I have to put the word biopic in inverted commas because. <laughs> It, w- w- she wasn't real, was she? Is that a thing? Are we, are we now? Saying, we, we had this out when Noah came out, and they're like uh, the greatest story of our time. And, and you're, it's not our time, is it? It's not our time. It never happened. No. But no, no, never mind. Uh, let's see. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Have you heard about the thing he's producing? He's producing a lot. But he's producing this 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 YA. Is this the climate change this YA. Is the climate, yeah. It's a YA dystopian sci-fi novel in which climate change has destroyed the Earth. Because Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, he can't you know he can't open his mail without thinking about climate change. Yeah. Climate change models and not winning awards. That, that's really that's it. his MO. I'm, I'm pretty so. sure that's the reason he always looks so sad because he's thinking about climate change. Yeah. But then seconds later, he's smiling because he's like, oh, I'm Leonardo models. DiCaprio. I have these models. models. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what else we got. Oh, no, that's, that's it. That's all we've got for the week. Is that that's the all the film news. Uh, Fast and Furious uh, uh, 9 and 10. 9 and 10 they've have got some release dates. dates yeah. they, they've, they've got them as well. Was it 2019, 19, and 2021? 21. Yeah. So, so yeah. That, that's it. That, that could be the end. And the, they, they have yeah, said that, that that's the end. So imagine 10 movies. One last trilogy. That's it. <laughs> One last trilogy. <laughs> One last trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> in, in what universe is that the same thing to say in out there? Vin Diesel's universe. <laughs> so let's, let's just talk really, really quick then about uh, Rams which is uh, well this is uh, this is an Icelandic drama about well sheep farmers effectively and it's it starts out because we haven't got a clip because obviously it's all in Icelandic, Icelandic. do they speak Icelandic in Iceland is that what I they call I think it? so Okay, I didn't know if it was like Iran and Farsi. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, a different entirely name. I don't know. It's, it's worth looking up. Right. So this is one of those small-scale foreign language dramas that you know tends to get overlooked in the sort of multiplex environment, and yet it, it's really great. And you think, oh, why? This this is this <coughs> deserves some serious sort of prompt. Um, mm. This is directed by. And uh, please forgive my pronunciation on this because I, I can barely pronounce you know a French name, an Icelandic name is really really outside of my grasp. This is uh, Grimoire Hakan. Narsen. Hakanarsen. Yeah, I was right. Good I think you did Narsen, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is something you're like a discreet gem in the multiplex environment. If you can find it, go and see it. And this is the story of a farmer named Gummy. L- literally Gummy. His, 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 his brother's name is Kitty. 
So gummy and kitty, gummy and kitty. Their parents had a sense gummy. of humour. <laughs> and what does he when he wants a gummy bear? What does he ask for? That's what I want to know. Yeah. I'm so. thinking about that Simpsons episode with the uh, uh, gummy Venus de Milo. Oh, I, I, I keep saying <laughs> gummy a bunch of times. Gummy. So gummy is a sheep farmer who loses out in a local sort of wildlife competition. Um, his sheep come second place to his brother, his estranged brother Kitty. In a drunken rage, he goes to look at Kitty's sheep and. Uh, this his ram and discovers scabies and he then inadvertently has the entire the entire livestock of their valley killed as a precaution against scabies but of course killing all the sheep for all the valley brings with it an entire lifestyle change for everybody involved a lot of people face financial ruin a lot of people are facing a hardship they never anticipated and for other people this is just something that happens periodically but for gummy himself he finds himself at the sort of the, the end of his emotional thread he doesn't quite know what to do and he's his world comes somewhat even more unglued when it emerges that he actually legally owns his brother's farm. So in effect, it's his sheep. Oh no. <laughs> who has so he's just it all. And of course, he then has to sort of re sort of reconnect with his brother because it's the only way he's going to emerge through this in one piece. And it's really fascinating. You've got this great performance. Again, forgive the name. Uh, Sigura Sigur Johnson. I want to say. I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names. Uh, C.Y.C. Robinson, and he's, his performance is just absolutely stellar in this. Really just unfiltered. Really, it, there's, there's absolutely no gloss to it whatsoever. There is no grandstanding. There's no performance in it as such. It is just this humanistic, all about the natural performance. And it's absolutely heart-wrenching as a result. It starts out as the sort of jealous neighbour story, it moves to a rural drama, and it goes to this almost Homer-like story. And it just goes nowhere you expect it to. And it's incredibly fascinating at the same time. But what you have as well is, and I'm not going to say... Hakonason's direction, his direction, his visuals, and he finds a way to make this incredibly bleak landscape work as this wonderful contrast to these incredibly just beautiful performances. And it's it's a fascinating film to watch. It's just not what you would expect at all. And I can't recommend it highly enough. I think it was great. Mm, sounds I mean, really good. Sounds very interesting. Kind of thing you'd love. Oh, yeah, it's... It's got my name stamped all over it. It's, it's, it? it's marginally hipsterish enough. <laughs> I like it. Par- partial hipster, at least a third, a third hipster. You, 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 if you went to see it in a flannel shirt, you might be okay. That's all I own, really. That is, yeah, yeah that's true. I generally have like one day where I'll wear like like a normal t-shirt and a jumper. <laughs> but no, I, it's one of those films as well. I think the language barrier would put a lot of people off, but it shouldn't. It, the language barrier is re- they just effortlessly oversteps it, hmm. and I thought it was great. But uh, it's like, it wasn't one that I was going to stick in the in the regular show. I thought we'd say that one until the yeah, end. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But uh, I think more people can identify with the Janis yeah. Joplin. More people are going to see the Janis Joplin. I really want to see it. that Janis Joplin one. I've, I've really heard about it. It's really good. Yeah, um, they were trying to develop uh, an actual film, like an actual biopic, uh, with um, who was it? Uh, Amy Adams. Oh, do you know who I would cast who? as Janis Joplin? Mary Lynn Rascoob from Twenty Four. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Chloe O'Brien in 24. Oh, I can see like, physically, she yeah, could pull up. She's totally. got that exact physical charisma as well. And she does weirdly kind of look like mm. her. She got the vocal chops. I guess you could just use well, Janice's voice, can't you? Exactly. You can just, just, just Joaquin Phoenix this, you know? <laughs> he, he did all his songs. Oh, did he? Is, he is did that it. one where I What's him, the yeah. one where it switches and it's someone else singing? I don't know. Not, not Ray, because Jamie Foxx can really sing. Can't really act. Shouldn't have won an Oscar. Can definitely sing, bro. 
I don't know. I'm a big fan of Collateral. See, I like... I like Collateral. He, he was nominated for Best Supporting. I'm not sure who won Best Supporting that year, but I'd much prefer to see him win Best Supporting than win Best Lead for, for Ray. You know what I love about Collateral more than anything is that it, it's part of a mini-shared universe that never went anywhere. As in, at the very beginning of that film... Michael Manverse. No, no, no. This is, this is really strange and absolutely true. At the very right. beginning of Collateral, yeah. uh, Tom Cruise is in an airport and he has a handoff with Jason Statham. Really? He does. He he has like a, he has like a handoff in the airport mm. with Jason Statham. Mm. Jason Statham has no lines in it, I don't think. But the character then goes on to the events of the movie Cellular, huh. in which he is the villain. Yeah. So the idea is you've got Tom Cruise as a villain in this movie, Jason Statham as the villain in, in Cellular, Cellular, and the pair exist within the same universe. That is That's absolutely true, and you can check it. I don't know why. I don't know why that happened. No one has an answer for it. We'll be just, like, filming at the same time, which might have been in, like, similar lots or I, something. I don't, I don't know. know. I have absolutely no expert. I don't think they're even... to look into it. I have no idea, but look into it, because it was just yeah. this, we- this weird shared connection, <laughs> which goes nowhere. There is no mm. point to it, unless it was, like, the start of something that just never happened. Yeah. Um, sorry, just quickly, speaking about uh, uh, shared universes. Go on. Um, I think it was on, it was on either Collider or the Playlist. There is a guy on YouTube, a YouTuber, your favourite thing, <laughs> who has watched all of the Happy Madison films, so that's all the Adam Sandler films. All is, the... is this the guy who's come up with a theory? Yeah. He's come up with a theory that maps them all, hasn't he? Yeah. Like, he's done, like, a Homeland-style map, where, like, he's got a picture of them all on the wall, and there's, like, bits of string, and oh, man. they all, like, connect, and... I need to look into this. It's really but impressive, but it's so funny. Someone's done one for Pixar, I think, as well. There's all oh, Pixar I can, I can films imagine that. connected, yeah. and there is one for the more recent Disney films. I know Frozen and Tangled are supposed to be in the oh, same. Yeah, universe. yeah. But uh, shared universes. They're everywhere, aren't they? They are. You know, they're like buses. You wait for one, and they all come along at once. Marvel. <laughs> Damn you, Marvel. Well, I think that that kind of draws it to a close for me this week. I think. Yes. So uh, should we should we sign out with the moment of cage? It's one of my favourite ones this week. How is it? Yep. Here it is. Your moment of cage. What do you say we cut the chit chat a hole? You almost got me killed twice, and my jaw hurts like hell.